Hallelujah. Uh, for the most part of everybody in here, you may not know this person. Some of you do, but we want to give our condolences to the uh, Black family, Daisy Black, um, which was, you might want to say, Dave's personal intercessor for many, many years, Pastor Dave. And um, she was very close friends with uh, our Barbara Fish for many years. They communicated. When Barbara took Candy and I out to Tulsa for the first time, and that was, can you believe it's tw in March, it'll be 25 years? 25 years. So she took us out there, but we, she introduced us to Daisy Black. Daisy always sat on the front row, and there's even songs written about her. And uh, she was the first person, da Daisy Black was the first person uh, after Barbara introduced us to Daisy because she knew her, because Barbara had been before us and had met. And so um, Daisy was the first person that took me in the back to meet Pastor Dave. And I did not ask. She said, you got to come. You got to come here. And uh, she grabbed me and she was a school teacher and uh, in her, you know, younger years. And she was she was tough. But she uh, she grabbed me by the arm and she made me go in the back and she brought me back there. And I was scared to pieces. And, you know, I was like, oh, God, I don't know if I want to do this or not. But uh, she introduced me to Dave Roberson. So Daisy Black uh, went to be with the Lord last night or this earliest morning around 1 a.m. and uh, like Barbara said she's walking the streets of gold with Jesus and so we're so thankful for her uh, she was a native of Louisiana she lived many many years in Tulsa was a prayer warrior just that's she was a single lady and she just lived her life for prayer that's basically it you'd hear Gary Carpenter talk about her that's the lady that would do uh, without fanfare, you know, she wouldn't go around telling people, but you'd find out she would do two, sometimes two 40-day water fast a year. So not just one, but two. And uh, different things that she did was incredible. Pastor Dave would talk about the time that he was in India and that Daisy was over here, and the Lord just kind of woke her up. I don't know what was going on. The Lord said, you pray for him right now concerning a bomb. And uh, so she prayed, and she prayed until she got through and felt like the burden lifted. I don't know how long she prayed. And then later, unbeknowing to her, no kind of information, Dave left that meeting where there was sometimes um, some of those meetings he would have uh, with uh, Dr. Denikrin, there would, there would be over 500,000 people there, just a sea of humanity. And uh, so they found out that in one of those services, and probably that one, was that there was a, uh, an attempt to plant a bomb or do something that they really was. They found out there was something to that extent that was going on. And later, Dave found out that, wow, this, the Lord uh, saved everybody on that ministerial team. So we just give our condolences and remember Daisy Black and thank God for the life that she lived. So praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, the Christmas party, we'll announce this again, but the Christmas party will be December 19th. Okay, that's on a Sunday. And we will um, we'll just have a big, you know, I, we probably won't minister that day. We'll have some worship. And uh, Davy says she's already started with the kids, so that's good. 
So we got something going on there. And then uh, Miss Gay will probably plan some other stuff. We'll find out. But praise the Lord, December 19th. Amen. Okay. Praise the Lord. Amen. Would you just worship with me for just a few moments? Just all for the sacrifice of praise and just magnify him. Jesus, we love you. We just, we just don't come together for service. We come together, Lord, for an opportunity to go to another place in your presence, get more prepared for what is right here in front of us, right here in front of us, which is the greatest outpouring of your spirit that has ever been known to man from the beginning of the book of Acts until now. Nothing, Lord, will compare to it. We understand from the Old Testament prophecies and from present-day speaking prophecies that, Lord, you are promising to us, Lord, a great harvest in the earth. We're actually claiming worldwide at least a billion-plus souls. And here in this area, we're claiming thousands and thousands to be born again in this harvest, that this will be a regional harvest. It'll touch this city, but it'll touch the region in a powerful, powerful way. And Father, we say that men who, Lord, right now just don't even understand, maybe they love you, but they don't understand what revival is. Maybe they love you, they're born again. They don't understand what the power of the baptism of the Holy Ghost is. And Lord, we just pray that in this sweeping revival, that Lord, that your spirit will come to these churches and these places and Lord, convince these men and pastors that you have something even beyond what they've ever walked in before because we know that this church and this place will never hold the harvest of souls that will be born again in the days ahead and we just pray that lord there'll be a citywide and a region-wide revival that men will be born again yes father we we believe that the greatest miracle is salvation but Lord, you have provided along with that salvation that the blind see and the lame walk and the deaf hear and all those miracles that we confess continually. And we just pray that, Lord, in this baptism that we will see it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, no notes. Just I want us to get into the word. We are going to, to uh, go through some word and turn to some scripture. And I'll tell you where to turn in just a, just a moment. Um, actually, you can go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 5. If I put a title to tonight, it would be Purgings on the Other Side of Revival. Purgings on the Other Side of Revival. A year or two ago, well... I will say more than, I would say probably two years ago, the Lord began to speak to all of us. And when I say all of us, present tense, or, or presently, this church and other churches, uh, Dayton, uh, Tulsa, and the men and women that are watching this, these services and the men and women that follow Pastor Jim Martin, Gary Carpenter, Alan Taylor, the heart of the message and those that teach the message of where we're going the Lord began to speak through a lot of different messages teachings and then also through some present-day speaking prophecies in which um, 
the blueprint prophecies were a part of that, a major part of that. Many of the prophecies that Pastor Jim uh, gave to the body of Christ and prophecies that came out of um, Tulsa. But along with that, an incredible doctrine. We don't do any of our, you know, we don't speak prophecies that we can't go to the Word of God and say, this is where you can find it in the Word of God. So you can't just say, speak a prophecy and say, you believe what I say. No, you, if, if it can't be backed up by this, if it can't be backed up by the foundation of his word, uh, then it's not true uh, prophetic utterance. But in those prophetic utterances, the Holy Spirit began to speak to us and begin to say, I'm preparing you for the outpouring. I'm preparing you for the outpouring as far as what is coming. And the, one of the major things that he began to say to all of us in that preparation was that he was going to send us during, um, into a purging process. And uh, there were so much of the blueprint prophecies talked about the purging process and how that God was going to begin to prepare us. And listen, when we talk about the purging process, we're talking about God coming to born-again, spirit-filled people and taking them to the next level of uh, dying, we'll use this term, it may, not, uh, it may not be understood by everybody that's watching, but we'll explain more as we go along, dying to the flesh or mortification in those areas of your life, like you're born again, you're going to make heaven. That's not the discussion. But those places, and it's not a, what we want to see even here tonight is, it's not you trying to get more righteous or more holy. Because Ephesians tells us that we were created in true righteousness and true holiness. In other words, from the moment that you were born again, your inward man, your spiritual man, was born again in perfect righteousness. In other words, you can't, you can't make that guy any more righteous. You can't make him any more holy. But you sure can't clean up the outward man, the soul. Uh, Paul teaches us that we're, and I'm going to simplify this, we're made up of spirit, soul, and body. He said, I pray your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless to the coming of the Lord. Well, the Lord's trying to preserve us in a blameless fashion, prepare us um, for revival. And it's not just, as I said, it's not just that he's taking out what you might think the uglies, but he is preparing us in a way that he is maturing us, getting us ready. You don't give a five-year-old the keys to an 18-wheeler. You don't give them the keys to something. You can't give an immature church, um, an immature people. You, the book of Corinthians were, was written to immature Christians. They were those that were strong in the gifts of the spirit but they were they were gossiping they were fighting one says i'm of paul the other one said no i'm of apollos the other one said no i'm of cephas which was peter and and paul had to step in their midst and said you're carnal you're babes you're showing that you're carnal by your division babies fight grown-ups in christ realize their assignment and they keep going so part of what the Holy Spirit has been wanting to do is not is to grow us up, not just in the sense of purging all of anything that might be what we would call ugly, 
Um, it's deeper than that. It's to a place where the Holy Spirit wants to grow us up, where he says, I can give you the keys to this 18-wheeler. I can give you the keys to this sports car because it's going to run fast and it's going to run furious before this is all over. And it's going to be a greater revival. We've got this prophecies. It's going to be a greater revival than even the book of Acts. It's going to do all, it's going to, don't you, I mean, wouldn't you just, come, come on. He says, I'm coming back after a glorious church. He wants to come, you know, Ephesians says that it's his will for us to grow up into the full stature of Christ. In other words, he doesn't want us come, he doesn't want to come back to a church that he left and say, you know what, you're only, you're only half as tall or half as strong as what I left. He wants to come back and say, look, my bride grew up. It may have taken him 4,000 years. My, my bride grew up, and they're, they're more, they are more of a replica than what I even left. That's his desire, a, a replica of what? A replica of Christ, a replica of the works that he did, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So it's not just all the moral kinds of thoughts, you know, the, the, the moral kind of things that we think about, like he wants to purge us. Um, Gary Carpenter, uh, which is one of our teachers, most all of you would know, but I'm speaking like someone might not know, Gary Carpenter. But Gary Carpenter, at the beginning of this, and I would say a year and a half ago or so, when all of these prophetic utterances begin to come out and these messages like, I'm about to send you through a purging process, Gary Carpenter, in prayer, saw in a vision uh, that there was a wall of fire that we were all about to walk into. And the wall of fire was what he understood to be the purging, the purging process. And he said, you know, I'm trying to remember accurately, he said there was, there was no wait. For those that were going to go into it and be part of the outpouring, there was no way to get over it. There was no way to get around it. It was just a wall of fire, and he understood that it was, it was the purging process. It was what the Holy Spirit had prophesied in the blueprint prophecies that I'm about to take you in, into this wall of, or into this purging. Come away with me, come away with me into intimacy, and come away with me into a purging process. Has been much of the messages in those uh, blueprint prophecies. So Gary saw this wall of fire, but interesting enough, what I have heard him say, and many of you have probably heard him if you listen to his messages, is just recently, over the last few months or so, he began to see um, through the wall of fire, like we, we went into it, and he could see us as a group coming out. In other words, when you start into something like that, it's dense. You can't see through it. All you can see is, you know, if you're looking at this from a spiritual perspective, you're like, there's no way around this. If we're going to have revival, we got to go through this. And so, but now he said he got, he's not only he, but understanding us as a whole, begin to see that at least we were far enough through it that you could, he could see the other side of it. In other words, this process presently came to a place where it was complete, the, this present process. So what we want to share tonight for a little bit is that we want to share um, the one, and probably mostly, the reality of that 
God really can prepare us and that there really is a present tense end to the purging process. Along with that saying, we'll always be going through a dying process 25 years from now, 30 years from now, if Jesus tarries, and there might be other purging processes. But for us to get to the next stage in which the Lord is wanting to pour out of his spirit in an incredible way like we've never seen before, I think one of the things that the Lord wants us to come to is the reality that you really can come to that place. And it's not unrealistic. It really is a place where you get through it and the Lord says, okay, here's the keys to the car. You can drive it now. Uh, it wasn't that you weren't um, righteous enough before, but you would, have, you would have run this thing in the ditch. Your doctrine needed to be corrected. Some of, a lot of you needed to come out of you. A lot of self-ambition. Um, for the purging process, and I will say this, at this point in time, it has not, you know, we've never, we've always thrown a, tried to throw a lifelong line to anybody that was out there that was, you know, they had one foot in the world. You know, they were messing around. They, you know, they weren't, maybe they were in and out of the bars. Maybe they were in and out of pornography. Maybe they were in and out of this, that, and the other. We've always said, come in. The blood of Jesus will cleanse you. Just repent. Come on. But our message over the last several months has been to those who were close enough that weren't even involved, if you want to say, in what we would call, and I'll use this phrase, and some of you may not be familiar with, the killer sins or the deal breaker sins. And there's a list of those in Ephesians and Corinthians, Colossians, Galatians. I always look to these guys. Um, all of those, they are there. And they spell out what sins that Paul spoke to. And he says, if you do these things, and what he was talking about, and actually if you pick it up in the Greek, it bears out if you habitually do these things. If you habitually do these things, even after you're born again, he said you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, do we believe that you just come in and out of salvation, you're born again one day, you're serving the Lord, and then the next day? No, absolutely not. But Paul said if you habitually do these things, if you live like that, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, why are you saying that? I'm saying that to say this. That is not the group that is in the purging process. The purging process now that is, we're going through this fire and we're saying, hey, wait, look. It looks like we're coming out of this thing. It's not that God won't continue to deal with us, but the reality of getting to a place where we come out and say, wait a minute, we're about to receive an outpouring. We're about ready to receive an outpouring. So I want us to look at um, some things that I think will be interesting to us just from the Word of God and uh, the chronology of the Word of God. So we're going to look at uh, Mark chapter 5. Um, and we'll take our time to go through some of these, these readings and just think about them together and, and hear uh, what the Holy Spirit is saying as in regards to us going through the fire there's purgings in front of us, but maybe we're getting close to really completing the present tense purging. Let's look at verse 21. Matthew or Mark 5:21. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him. 
And he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and spent all that she had, was nothing better, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press and touched his garment. Now, Matthew, uh, if you read out of Matthew, Matthew actually says she touched the hem of his garment. So that's why we get sometimes people say, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. But here, Mark said she touched his garment. And she said, if, may touch, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the uh, fountain of her youth, or fountain of her blood, was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. And the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be thou whole of thy plague. Okay, that's where we need to just stop right there. We, know, we have no more to read out of that chapter. So this is familiar. This woman um, said within herself, if I can just get close enough, probably the reason why she thought that is because the crowds were always thronging him. They were always around him and massive crowds, hundreds, sometimes thousands. Part of the job description of the disciples was not just to go out, but really kind of provide some kind of level of crowd control and security around him that people just did not physically overrun him because they had saw the works that he had done and people need you know they wanted to touch him but that day there were probably thousands of people touching him as he went down the street but nobody was getting healed just by touching him because they were it was just touch Touches of more so of just fanfare, like a rock star, okay? But there was a woman inside of her. Now, we don't have any scripture that the Holy Ghost came to her and said, if you'll just touch his garment, you'll be whole. She made it up inside of herself and said, if I can just get within proximity of him, if I, just based on what I've heard about him, if I can get in proximity of him and touch his clothes... Um, I believe I'll be healed because there was enough. She knew there was enough. Now, uh, there was, as I said, there was nothing that the disciples preached about touching Jesus, his clothes or anything. She just in her own heart made it up and said, 
I believe. And of course, we just read where she was healed. She was hemorrhaging. Um, so this hemorrhaging that she had for 12 years and no doctor could heal her, she felt it just dry up immediately in her body. And, and Jesus, um, he's not working out of his, his divinity. He's working out of his humanity. He really didn't know who touched him. And the, he said, who touched me? And the disciples were like, Lord, everybody's touching you. But he said, no, somebody, I feel that virtue has gone out of me. And uh, so when he turned about, like somebody here did this, she just had to come, fall down, admit it's me. I don't know if she thought, man, am I in trouble? <laughs> but how could she be in trouble when the Son of God just healed her body? But she fell down and, and admitted that she was the one that had done this. And so obviously the crowd that was there heard what had just been done. It's recorded, I think it's recorded in three Gospels. So um, the crowd and everyone witnessed this and, and saw this. So um, we're going to go to uh, the next chapter, which is Mark 6. Um, say this with me. This is one of Gary, I mean, this is one of, yeah, I was going to say it was one of Dave's. It is one of Gary's also. It's very classic. It's very, very deep, deep, deep. Everybody say this. Mark 5 comes before Mark 6. Okay, okay. What does that mean? Chrono chronology, it means, you know, the next, the next thing. So time-wise. So let's look at, um, let's go over in Mark 6 to verse 53. And it's talking about, now Mark 6 and all the, Mark is so full of miracles, you could just go into miracle. So this is so many miracles taking place in Mark 5 and 6. By the time we get to verse 53, it says this, And when they, Christ and his disciples, had passed over, they came into the land of Gennesaret, and drew to the shore. Now the lake Gennesaret is also the Sea of Galilee, which is a lake. It's, not, it's really not that big. It's not like sailing across an ocean. In verse 54, it says, And when they had come out of the ship, straightway they knew him. In other words, everyone uh, on the shores of that region, they knew him. They knew his popularity. They knew him his, um, what he had been, his fame, that's the word. They knew his fame. If you look it up in the Amplified, it says they, it's something of, they, they, they had heard of him. They knew his fame. So when he arrives in this land of Gennesaret or crosses the lake of Gennesaret, um, Galilee, and comes over into this land, it says they come you know, out and approached him, understanding who he was, understanding his fame. And they ran, the word says, verse 55, through the whole region. People just started going forth. I don't know how long that took. may have taken days. Uh, we don't have a timeline here. And they ran through the whole region roundabout and began, now watch this, they began to carry about in beds, those that were sick, where they heard he was. And whithersoever he entered into villages 
or cities or country. They laid the sick in the streets and besought him that they might touch if it were but the border or the hem of his garment. And this is the part I love the most. And as many as touched him were made whole. Okay. Let me read that again. You correct me if I say anything wrong. And most everyone that touched him was made whole. Is that, did I say that wrong? 85% of everybody that touched him. Okay, my reading skills are really off tonight. 90% of the people that touched. Okay, 95, will you take 95? <laughs> Get it right, my wife says. As many as touched him were made whole. Now, I can't think of a time in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John reading the, 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 the life story of Jesus and what he did. I can't think of a time where he sent out the 70 or the 12 where he told them, go into these, because he would do that often, go into the region and tell them I'm coming and line up the sick in the streets so that when I walk by them, they can touch my garment or the hem of my garment and they'll be whole. You, you can't find that. There's not a place. So why did they, it, it wasn't propagated from Christ. It wasn't propagated from the disciples. They never preached that. Uh, although in chapter five, we just saw where that happened. Now, I can't prove this, but I can very well believe this. This is, this is I will tell you, this is my own personal supposition or thought that because this woman had been healed <laughs> just by touching his garment see i've been in church long enough through the years as a growing up in church i found out that uh, a lot of times when the holy spirit does something and it's really strong and it's supernatural and somebody gets healed or some kind of manifestation takes place people seem to reach out and grasp uh, the mechanics of however it took place. And they'll try to repeat that. Well, I was sitting right there, and, you know, if you'll sit right there, and, uh, or I was standing this way, you know, the, the old-timers, you know, if you're fishing and somebody's catching more fish than you, they say, well, you know, how are you, how are you catching those? Well, it's just the way you hold your tongue, you know, or the way you're, you know, the way you, you know, just kidding around. But uh, the body of Christ usually does the same. It's no stretch of my imagination to know that somebody probably had either been in that crowd in Mark 5 or at least told the story because we don't see any place where, to my knowledge, where the disciples ever said, you know, we're coming and the way that you can best prepare is Christ is going to parade himself down the street. And if you are there and you want to touch him, you'll be healed. I, there, that doctrine or that instruction was never given by Christ or his disciples. Somebody came up with it. And it very well, it, I, just even reading this when it says, and he came, uh, you know, it came out of the sh ship and straightway they knew him. Uh, if other translations will tell you straightway they were you know, his fame was in front of them. So they had heard about him. 
And it's very well possible they would had heard that this woman had recently been healed just by touching the hem of his garment. And, and that's amazing to me. But here's the other part that's amazing. The Lord loves people so much that he'll go along with any way that releases their faith. So all, if, if, if a courier came or somebody came back and said, you know what, there was a woman I know of got healed and she just touched the hem of his garment or touched his clothes, that's, that's it. That's the way we should do it. That's the way we should do it. So they would, it, it says here that they laid, uh, they laid the sick in the streets and besought him that he might touch, if it were, but the border, whithersoever he entered, this is the part I wanted, into the villages or the cities or the country. Now, Mark is really telling us great, an incredible, let's just stay here for just a minute. If Christ comes into one of these villages, some of them are really small, small dirt street. Um, although it is interesting that if you study and read about, because the Roman occupation was in that whole you know, region of Judea and around about, because the Romans were pretty much world uh, dominance at that time. One of the things about the Romans is they, put, they did a lot. They were, they were a... Uh, oppressive government but they did a lot to the, for infrastructure a lot for infrastructures even in in that area they would be they would build ro roads and stuff but if you went into one of these can you just imagine whether it's a dusty street or a roman paved road uh, into a village can you imagine jesus walking down that street and for 200 yards because i'm not going to say it's there are huge towns Two to three hundred yards, you've got people lining up or laying uh, close enough. Some of them, you know, maybe could stand, but they got in a position. You may have had mothers with children that couldn't reach out. You may have had mothers with children with Down syndrome. You may have had, now it says every single one, as many as touched him, were made whole. If the fame was everybody comes, you could have had blind people there. You could have had deaf people there. You could have had people that were missing limbs. And all he, all he did was, this is amazing, all he did was, based on their faith, I'm going to keep hitting this, <laughs> he just walked. Now, there, how simple is that? That is so simple. You know, the Lord told Gary Carpenter years ago, when you do get this, you're going to be like laughing to think we ever made it so hard. Well, I'm ready for some belly laughs. I'm ready to make fun of myself of like, why did I make it so hard? But Jesus, it's like, man, God, was it really that simple? And the Lord's saying, yeah. So he would just walk slow enough that, and can you imagine the cries that would be behind him? The, the mothers and the people that were healed of blindness, deafness, uh, children of every sort, and he would just walk down. Maybe he turned around, and maybe he had to walk the other side too. Maybe he turned around and had to walk close enough for those people. But their faith was, because no, no disciple had ever taught that. Their faith was, somebody told them running through the region, if we'll just pile up in the streets, if we'll just get close enough to him and touch him when he goes by, we'll all be healed. 
Glory to God. Is that revival? That is revival. I can just imagine him going and just, just think about that just for a moment. As he proceeded further and further down the street, the cries of rejoicing that must have been taking place. And he wasn't even bending down. I'm not saying he never touched anybody. I don't have that information. I do know this. It says, as he passed by, as many as touched him was made whole. How simple is that? That's just like, uh, do you have to call a prayer line? No, just walk down through there and let them touch you. Okay, hallelujah. So somebody said, that's Jesus though. Nobody can do the works except Jesus. Well, praise God. I'm glad to hear you, Mr. Religious Voice. <laughs> Let's see if anybody, like a, what we call just somebody other than Jesus, could possibly do such a thing. Let's go to Acts chapter 5. Hallelujah. And let's look at verse 12. Now, how many of you remember that Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 12, the works that I do, you will do also. And greater than these shall you do because I go to the Father. Now, we do know this. The greater work of all works is the born-again experience. And one thing that Jesus could not do while he was on planet Earth, he could not administer the born-again uh, experience because he had not yet been crucified. So he had to be crucified, death, burial, and resurrection for all of us now to say, you can be born again if you trust Christ as your Savior. He couldn't do that. The greatest work that, he, that we do now, that other than what he could do, is we can lead people to him. But there's also the promise that we are going in, you know, the, the promises that have been given to us according to Joel chapter 2 is that there's an army coming in the earth that is going to be the such like has never been. The present day speaking prophecies said that the, the power that is coming, the glory that is coming is going to supersede even the first church and we're going to see a revival. Things are going to happen that people have never seen happen before. Well, let's look and see if anybody ever did anything like Jesus did, like walk down the street and people just got healed just because he, you know, walked down the street and they touched the hem of his garment. But let's look at uh, verse 12, and you, many of you already know where I'm going with this. Uh, it says in verse 12, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, and the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And the believers were the more added to the Lord multitudes, both men and women, inasmuch, watch this, that they brought forth the sick into the streets. Does that sound familiar? You know, I just kind of really wonder if the woman with the issue of blood didn't start this. <laughs> I really do. I mean, because I never saw in Scripture where Jesus ever told people to line up in the streets. But it caught on. <laughs> it looks like it caught on. It says, Inasmuch as they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches. This looks just like the scene in Gennesaret. 
that at the least, now watch this, okay, but here it goes, here revival goes to another level. It goes to another level. Greater works. Greater works. Okay, Jesus, they just, they had to touch the hem of your garment. But here it says that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came, there came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing the sick folks and them that were vexed with unclean spirits. And we get the same. Now, I'm going to read this. And again, you know, I don't know what it is tonight. I can't. I'm having a hard time reading. You guys. Kept, and they were healed, most of them. Come on, you guys are the most dis- disagreeable crowd. And they were healed, almost every one of them. Oh, come on, help me out here. Every one, every single one. It, it means every single one. All of them. What was in that crowd? I don't know. Were there blind? There might have been. Was there, we know the demoniacs were there. And here's the amazing part. Peter... In a certain sense, the acts that were going on with him almost trumped what Jesus did because Jesus let him just touch his garment. Peter didn't even have to let him touch anything. Isn't that amazing? The Bible says just perhaps maybe even a shadow would fall on. Now the, and I, I don't want you to get um, caught up in the shadow because, of course, you know the shadow itself had no healing what it's really telling us, shadow distance, meaning that if he just got in their proximity, they got healed. Glory to God. He wasn't laying hands on them. He wasn't casting them out, devils. He was just like, you know what? I see everybody's lined up this morning. I'm going to walk down there and get my cup of coffee. And then I'm going to walk back. And there's probably going to be several hundred of you healed in my casual stroll. Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. What's that? They got in his presence. That's right. They got in his presence. So this is fantastic. So how hard is that? (laughs) I'm ready for the easy button, Lord. (laughs) Okay. You know, Lord, you showed Gary the purging. You know, the fire's almost, we're almost through it. Can it be tonight? Can Sunday start the, you know, the, you know, how easy it's supposed to be? I believe it's right on us. I really do. I believe it's very, very close to being here. Hallelujah. Um, let's go to, um, hallelujah. Let's go to. Acts 10. Help me out here again, because I know you're super intelligent. Super intelligent. Um, everybody say this. Uh, Acts chapter 6. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Acts chapter 5. I can get you messed up. Where we were just at comes before Acts chapter 10. Okay, now. So let's read Acts chapter 10, and this is familiar to a lot of us. Uh, but I want to read this in relevance 
to the man that we just talked about, Peter, that just had incredible, awesome uh, results in a revival. How many would say that's a revival if you just walk down the street and, and people don't even have to touch you, they get healed? I would say that's revival status. That's what we're after. They say, now the chronological Bible that I have, and, and this is here or there, I don't care. Don't write me letters because it doesn't really matter to me. I'm just giving a speculation of time. The chronological Bible that I have says that Pentecost, the baptism, the outpouring took place around 29 AD. They say that the Acts chapter 5, Peter walking the streets and healing uh, the sick took place about 31 AD, which is about a two-year span of time. But they say how they calculate all this. I'm not quite sure how they use all of the you know, different convergencies to try to figure out uh, the space and time. But what we're about to read in Acts chapter 10 is 10 years um, ahead in the future from Acts chapter 5 when Peter was healing um, the sick. So A.D. 31 to A.D. 41. So we're jumping ahead 10 years in the future from the time that this, this uh, incredible uh, revival was taking place and God was using Peter at such an incredible, uh, incredible way. Verse 1, look at it. We're going to do quite a bit of reading here, but it's going to make a point and we need to. I, I, I don't know where to start and stop here other than just to read it. Verse, 10, or verse 1 of chapter 10 says, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. He was a devout man, one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. And now, so of course, this is a Gentile. He's a, he's a, a Roman soldier. And he saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel coming to him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. Now send to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodges with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. So he didn't, he was seeking God for truth, but he didn't really know. Um, what the truth was, you know, he'd probably heard of, about Christ, I don't know, but here we, hear, we, we get this insight here. In verse 7, it says, And when the angel which spake unto Cornelius departed, was departed, he called two of his household servants and devout soldiers of them that waited on him continually. And when they had declared, and when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. And on the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. And he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and certain vessel descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knitted at the four, corner, at the four corners and let down to the earth wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, wild beasts, 
and creeping things and fowl of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Then Peter said, Not so, Lord. I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou or cleanse, that call not thou common. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. And while Peter doubted in himself what the vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. And while Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, get thee down, go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius, and said, Behold, I am he whom thou seekest, or seek. What is the cause wherefore ye are come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, and one that feareth God, and of a good report, among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by a holy angel to send for thee into his house, and to hear words of thee. Then called he them in, and lodged them. And on the morrow Peter went away with them, and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the morrow after they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius waited for them, and had called together his kinmen, kinsmen and near friends, as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. And he talked with him, um, and as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. And he said unto them, You know how that it is unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company, or to come unto one of, an, uh, one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So he's, in verse 28, he's already given away his disposition. He's already explaining a stronghold that's in his heart or in his mind. Therefore, verse 29, therefore, because of what? Because of the vision, because of this open vision. Came I unto you without gainsaying, as soon as I was set before, sent for. I ask therefore for what intent ye have sent me, sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting unto this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing, and said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard, and thy alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa, and call hither Simon, who is surnamed is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon a tanner by the seaside, who, when he cometh, shall speak unto thee. Immediately, therefore, I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now therefore we are we all here, here present before God to hear all things that are commanded the commanded thee of God. Now, here is classic. Okay, here we go. This is classic. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, 
Everybody that's looking at this, verse 34, Peter said this. He opened his mouth and said, Of truth, I perceive, everybody say perceive. I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Now look up for just a moment. Peter, because of what has just happened, and we just read it, and to many of you it's very familiar, uh, portion of Scripture, but Peter has an open vision. This is not God speaking to him um, in an internal voice. He's at Joppa, and he has this incredible open vision where he sees this sheet coming down. And, this, and, it, and it just didn't happen one time. It happens three times. Then when he gets to where he's going, Cornelius repeats to him that all that had happened. Then Peter as a result of what he had just heard, said, I perceive. Do you know what perceive means? Perceive is a word that you use when you're kind of catching on. Perceive is a word like when you're like, I'm getting this. I'm perceiving this. I'm getting a revelation of this. And I'm like, Peter, seriously? Seriously? Now, this is, this is 10 years after Peter walking down the street. But save that place, because I want you to see this in your Bible. It's very short, very familiar. But go to, go to Mark. Hold, keep, keep your place there in, in Acts 10. We'll be right back. Because you need to see this. You've, we've read it a million times. You've, you, can, you can repeat this. This is Mark chapter 16. Okay? This is the last chapter in Mark. And look at... We're just going to read a couple, couple verses here. This is right towards the end. This is right before Jesus is about to leave. So look at verse 14. Afterwards, he appeared unto the eleven... As they sat at meat. Now, do you agree with me that, G that Peter was one of the 11? Judas was gone. Okay, he'd already hung himself. Peter was one of the ones that was sitting there. Afterwards, he appeared unto the 11 as they sat at meat and upbraided them. In other words, he scolded them, upbraided them with their unbel uh, unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, now watch this, he said unto them, Peter's sitting there, go ye, this is, this is called the Great Commission. Everybody, everybody that knows, you know, evangelism, this is what Jesus said. He said it first to the 11, go ye into all, everybody say, all the world. Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. Now, what is it about that, Peter, that you didn't get? Because in Acts 10, he's perceiving. He's actually come, you know what, I'm getting this. You Gentiles can be, well, I never. My goodness, based on 
God, God, the vision that he gave me and the, the angel coming to you and in a, in a moment, we didn't read it yet, but the Holy Spirit's going to, and he's like, I'm, I'm getting a revelation here. <laughs> now, Peter, what is it about go ye into all the world? Now, I mean, if you, if you read this backwards to every creature, preach the gospel in all the world, if you read it forward, backwards, upside down, inside out, it's the same. Everybody, Jew, Gentile, needs to get saved. Now, if you would have asked, you know, back, back to 10, if you would have asked Peter um, when he's walking the streets of Jerusalem a couple of years after Pentecost and that great revival is taking place, if you would have really come up to him and said, do you not believe that, because there had to be a lot of Gentiles being healed. If you ask him, uh, Peter, do you believe that these Gentiles can be saved or, you know, are they part of the covenant that God has given us? I do not believe that he would have blatantly said, no, I don't believe they can be saved. I, I, knowing that he heard the words of Jesus, but here's another great case in point. And this is part of the purging process. You can say with your mouth a lot of things and repeat things out of your mind and still not be totally convinced of them. Like a lot of the things that we say about revival. And a lot of the things that we say about going forward. If you were to ask Peter when he was doing all that, Peter, do you, do you not, if you could have come back in time and said, Peter, do you not believe that these are being, can be born again? He would have, he would have said, oh yeah, no, I, I believe that. But yet, 10 years later, if Peter's perceiving that the Gentiles can be born again there, wouldn't you say that that is a stronghold? Had been a mental or soulless stronghold? Come on. Wouldn't you think that not coming to a place 10 years later to saying, you know, I'm perceiving that you guys can receive God just like the Jews can. Come on, Peter. You're identifying yourself. You're saying that you lived with a stronghold. Did it, does it look like that it got purged that day? It did. The fire in, in that instance brought Peter to another place. But here's the, here's the real point. Here's where we, I want you to grasp. Keep hitting that mic. What I want you to grasp is this. Is that there may be purgings that are coming, and I'm sure there is, on the other side of revival. But sometimes we have such a for those that are really engaged, we have such a thought process like, man, I've got to be just perfect, squeaky, perfect. Doctrine has to be absolutely spot on, and that's what we're after. But do you realize that as long, even with the stronghold that didn't get really purged until 10 years later, even with the stronghold that was in Peter's mind. And like I said, I can't imagine you walking up to Peter having heard Jesus say, 
I can't imagine him blatantly saying, no, I don't believe that, you know, that it's God's will for us to preach the gospel to these people. I think he would have repeated and said, but here again, how much do all of us say things among ourselves and say it with our minds and yet have not perceived it with our hearts? And part of the purging process and going through this wall of fire is changing motivations, changing heart desires. I can't believe, I can't believe that the way, you know, football has been so purged in a good sense. One, it helps that my football team's no good. <laughs> so I really don't care. So that helps, you know, you're not so excited about trying to find the channel they're on. But the other thing is, so many motivational things that it's just like not that not that I'm trying to gear myself up it's like the want to for so many things and this wall of wall of fire has been purging us and so I think like Peter we have to see a couple things we have to see in Peter's examples example that he got used in revival incredibly even when he still had strongholds that still had to be purged now grant you the purging process that we're going through right now i don't believe you can walk through this and get on the other side with killer sins you know adultery fornication that's not what we're talking about but there is a process that we're going through that we're peeking through and say we're about to go through something it doesn't mean that there won't be purgings after this initial outpouring. But we can see by example that Peter himself wasn't totally spot on in every area. But still, he was so full of God that he just walked down the street and people were being healed. <laughs> was Peter perfect? No, he wasn't perfect. But was he being used? Yes, he was. If this is a, re, you know, we take the word of God as our example for revival. If that is true, then we can say, look, we're engaging, we're going forward. But are we going to, are we going to say, Lord, the, the, the fire or the purging process is so unrealistic. That's what he wants us to understand. It's not unrealistic. It's real. We can come through this still being human beings on the other side and there still may be some things yet in our future to be healed or revealed or changed. But I'm, I'm so thankful that an imperfect man was being used like we just saw in the book of Acts. Because it makes me think, because if I think that, Lord, I'm, we're just never going to get there unless every single jot and tittle is crossed and dotted. Well, that, by example, I mean, by example, Peter didn't have all of his act together. But he was being mightily used. We might not read the whole you know, chapter here uh, of, of 10, but obviously when Peter uh, spoke uh, after, let's, let's go back um, of true, you know, verse 34 again, and Peter opened his mouth and said, "Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, and in every nation, he that feareth." him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him the word which god spake unto the children of israel preaching peace by jesus christ he is lord of all the word i say 
ye know which was published throughout all Judea and began from Galilee unto the baptism of John. How and pre, John preached how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all of them that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Um, so he preaches this, and he and, and why, look at verse forty-four. Skip on down. While Peter, he couldn't even finish his sermon. I love this. I, I want this to happen often. He couldn't even finish what he was saying. While Peter spake. Yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them which heard the word. And of the circumcision, they that, that were of the uh, circumcision which believed were astonished. They were, see, they had the same, they had the same stronghold inside of them that Peter had. This thing was, they, they may have said, no, you know, the whole world can be saved. But it shocked their senses. They were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost, and they heard them speak with tongues and magnify. So these guys, as they, the, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they started speaking in tongues. And they're like, Shazam. You know, well, Peter, you had this, you had that stronghold in you when your shadow was healing people. Because it just came out now. And you're just saying now, you know what? I'm really catching this. I'm perceiving. Well, what part of the Great Commission did you not understand, Peter? Because he told you everybody can be saved. So this, doesn't that give us hope? It gives us real hope. And that's the simplicity of tonight's message. Um, that we are to live in hope knowing that we're going through this, this fire. Is there more? Probably. But I'm telling you, I believe that on the other side of this, some great things are going to take place. I mean, some major outpourings um, of the Holy Spirit like we have never seen before. And uh, it, it's not a perfecting like sometimes we think. Because sometimes we'll put a standard like, I don't know if I'll ever get there because I've got to be like some kind of angelic class. No, you're a human being being perfected through the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people, I, you know, I've talked to people before that have insinuated, maybe even more than insinuated, that, you know, you really can't preach what you're preaching unless you're perfected in it, unless you're perfected in the power of it. Well, if that's the case... None of the apostles were qualified to write the New Testament. They weren't, they weren't, you know, the, they got purged as they went from wrong thinking. Um, sometimes we look at some of these guys. Paul himself says, I have not apprehended, but I'm striving for that which I've been apprehended for. You know, there's things about the apostle Paul that we see that he was in a place where he was going with God into a place. It may not have been a stronghold, but he, it was, he had, let's say it this way, he had not arrived at any given point where he said, this is it, I've got it all. He said, I'm, I'm striving. I keep striving. Um, I think of different scriptures. I think about in 2 Timothy I think it's 2 yeah, Timothy, I think it's the, the last chapter, chapter 4. Paul said this of, 
himself, he's writing his closing statement to Aquila and Priscilla, and he said, I left, what's his name, Tryphenus or Tryphosis or something like that. I left him on Miletum, which is Miletus. It's some, some translations say Miletus, which is a seaport. I left him there sick. And I'm thinking, okay, Paul, you know, I'm not accusing Paul. I'm just, he's just writing, and he's, he said, when I left, the man was still sick. And he put that in there. Well, I'm thinking, why, you know, Jesus wouldn't have left him sick, would he? No. So I'm not condemning Paul. We're trying to get there too, but we need to keep praying the mysteries. Paul suffered, uh, what was it, three times he had shipwrecked? Okay, I think it was. And listen, you can't, God, there, there, in many cases, God will not rescue you from persecution. Jesus had to go through persecution to preach the gospel. So Paul was persecuted to preach the gospel. But Paul rode out a storm for like, how, how many days was it? Three weeks almost, or two weeks or something like that. The record that we have of Jesus, anytime that he ran into a storm, he made it stop. I'm just saying. I'm not, I'm not messing around with Paul. I'm just saying, Paul said of himself, I have not arrived. We've got documented proof that when, G, when, when Jesus was in a boat and a storm came up, he made it shut down. So that's why Jesus is telling us, in the end, more is coming than what you've ever seen before. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He's the prototype. Not Paul, not Peter, not any of these guys, and especially not Pastor Bronk. But we're coming through the fire. We're almost, we're, we're, maybe we're fixing to get a finger or a toe or something through there. Hallelujah. And revival's here. Revival is now. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand together. Hallelujah. So, Father, we worship you, and we glorify you, and we thank you that revival is now. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We have great confidence looking at our forefathers in the Scripture, knowing that they weren't entirely what we think of perfect, but you still use them in a revival status. There'll be more purgings on the other side of revival, but we know that we're getting close enough to see something like we've never seen before, and I'm so excited and Lord, how easy is it going to be to just walk and see people healed and just step into buildings and watch the tsunami of your glory rush through a building. We love you. We thank you. Lord, during this holiday season, we pray that our homes will be filled with the life of Christ, that Thanksgiving will be a wonderful day in the presence of God. If there's anybody out there that's watching and you don't know Jesus, just simply say, Jesus, come into my life, forgive me of my sins and wash me in your, in your blood, and he will do that. Amen. Father, we bless your people and bless everyone that's watching tonight and all this congregation in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have an offering tonight as you're leaving, please bring it down. We appreciate it. Thank you. God bless you for your giving. Amen.